Our New Testament reading today is from the book of Revelation. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your comrades who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's gospel reading is from the book of John. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name, name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? Our God, we thank you for the gift of being together this morning and for how you speak to us um, through your word and through your spirit. Would you now be with us as we consider these words, as we uh, open ourselves to you, would you meet us in this time and would you enable us to look through eyes of faith 
at the world, at ourselves, at you, and this morning, at the church. We need your help to do that, and so we ask for it through Christ our Lord. Amen. So we've been in this epiphany season uh, doing this series, Seeing Through Eyes of Faith, where we're leaning into this epiphany theme of uh, how God illumines the world for us, illumines the path that we are to walk. God uh, reveals truth to us and allows us to see God and see ourselves and see our work and one another through eyes of faith, not just through the many other lenses that we may um, see and through which we may interpret the world, but God allows us by his spirit to actually see anew as he gives us eyes to see what God would have us to see. And so we've been focusing on these different aspects of life. And today we come to this one, seeing the church through eyes of faith. And admittedly, I think this is the hardest one. I think this is the hardest sermon in the series. Uh, because in recent weeks, you know, I just think back to a couple weeks ago, seeing ourselves through eyes of faith. We started off by thinking, all right, well, what are some other lenses through which we look, right? And we started to think about ways that we perceive ourselves in unhealthy or unhelpful ways when we start to look through lenses of, let's say, expectations that you or others may have. Or you start uh, looking at yourself through the lens of your inner critical voice, or through these ideas of I am what I have, or I am what I do, or I am what other people say about me. Lies that we fall for that twist our vision and make us live with a sense of self that's other than the belovedness that God wants us to see ourselves as. With the church, when I start thinking about things, when you start to see the church through other lenses, not through eyes of faith, but through um, maybe more worldly lenses, the challenge here is I think many of the things that we begin to see about the church when we look from those perspectives are things we still need to see about the church when we look through eyes of faith. Just a little bit different, I think, where instead of being just simply lies that we fall for, like when we think about ourselves, I think there are things about the church that we need to see and that often we hear about from those who are not looking at the church through eyes of faith, yet they're perceiving things that are true. And I've been reading, um, well, I've been reading a lot for the last several years about how people see the church. Um, but this week, as I've just been reading a few studies, um, some of the key phrases, uh, a study of millennials that was done just um, during and after, uh, or I guess in the last two years, just talking about their perception of church. And a couple of these statements, church is irrelevant to me. Church is hypocritical. Church is known for the things they are against. Church is detached from the real issues my community is facing. Church is judgmental. Those were all sentiments held by the majority of millennials and almost the majority of millennial Christians too, who've grown up, many of whom have had relatively positive experiences in their own churches, but who view the church through this lens. Maybe some of those sound familiar, maybe some of those ring true for you, and especially as the church has gone through these, this last decade in this country and all of the, the tumult that we have seen through COVID, through racial reckoning, through other things, there have been all kinds of issues, all kinds of lightning rods, all kinds of moments where we've seen the church fracture 
pivot, whatever. So there's all kinds of mixed feelings, mixed opinions, mixed experiences of what the church is. And it might be tempting to think that what we have first and foremost in the church is an image problem. But I don't think that's what it is. I think what we have in the church is an identity problem. It's a character problem. It's, it's actually a discipleship problem. Because I think some of the things that people are recognizing about the church is that we have in fact been living toward the church, not as we see it through eyes of faith, but as we see it through worldly eyes as well. What do we see when we see the church through worldly eyes? We see an institution. And when we see this institution, we see what the institution does. And for some, the actions of the institution that stand out loudest and largest are abuses of power or they are complicity with injustices or with nationalism or with anti-intellectualism or with racism, whatever, right? You, people will recognize all kinds of ways that the church has allowed some other ism to infect our life together and we've lived in a way that isn't compelling or beautiful or flowing from a place of faith. Others will just simply see the institution as a cul-de-sac on their spiritual journey. That I'm, I'm spiritual, not necessarily religious, and I've come to the church in search of spiritual people, and I haven't found them there. I've just found religious people, right? But then on the positive side, there's like the sort of church positive ways of thinking of church as institution, as this is not like it's all just become worldly, but the church is institution as refuge from the world. Right? The church is my safe house. The world is scary. I find safety in here. And so if you're looking at it from eyes of faith and you're looking at the church as merely an institution and it's a flawed one, the response is, well, let's burn it down. But if you're looking at the church in a church positive way and you're looking at it as merely an institution, but it's my safe house, it's my refuge, the response is, well, let's preserve it at all costs. Don't let it change. But I think what I'm hoping that we'll see this morning is that when we look at the church through eyes of faith, we get a more complete picture. It's not that we turn a blind eye to the real things that are wrong with the flawed institution or even the real value of having a refuge in the church. That is actually a safe house in some ways that are actually good and not just withdrawing. But then when we begin to look at the church through eyes of faith, we begin to see that the church is a lot more than a human institution. The church, as we see it in these passages of scripture and in others, is a movement. It's a movement of the Holy Spirit. It's a community. It's a community created by God. It's a body the body of Christ in the world, whose head is Christ in heaven and whose hands and feet are us here on the earth to be the very embrace of God to our neighbors. The church is actually God's chosen instrument for blessing the world. As we read in this Gospel of John, Jesus talking about this people whom God has sanctified and sent. 
this community that's to be one as he and the Father are one, because this is the community that the Father has given to the Son and to whom the Son has given the Spirit and with whom God is actually getting busy in the world making all things new. Leslie Newbegin, Anglican priest, theologian, missionary, called the church the sign, the instrument, and the foretaste of God's kingdom on earth. This is the vocation of the church in the world, which is a beautiful and compelling way, I think, of, of summing up what is it that God has established and called the church to be, a sign that shows forth what God's rule on earth is like, the instrument by which God is actually bringing renewal to the place, and a foretaste where if you come and hang with us, you taste and see the goodness of the Lord. That's our calling. That's not something that humans have made. That's something that God is doing. And then when we read this passage from Revelation, we see this picture of the church as the bride of Christ. This people betrothed to God himself, betrothed to Jesus, the one who has loved us to the bottom of our being, the one who has loved us to the point of death, the one who has loved us beyond the power of the grave, the one who's coming back to finish the job of making all things new, where we will celebrate together church and Christ, the great marriage supper of the Lamb. The church is a lot more than a human-made institution. The challenge is it's also that humanly made institution. That word church, it functions to kind of cover this whole thing, right? It's sort of a Venn diagram maybe of institution and community. But what we wanna see here is the church is this community created by the Spirit of God, created to be the family of God, in which God calls all of us to become active participants, siblings, servants, recipients of God's grace, ones who can experience the love of God in the shared life of that kind of a community. God planted that new life in the earth, in Christ and in the sending of the Spirit. And then over time, we as members of the church, we've built up structures and we've established traditions. We've built buildings. We've built church governments. We've built hierarchies. We've built liturgies. We've written hymns. We've written systems of theology. We've established creeds. We've done all kinds of things. Some of them are profoundly helpful for nurturing into maturity the health and the life and the goodness of this community created by the Spirit. And some of them are profoundly unhelpful. Some of them are toxic. Some of them are evil. And the work of reformation in the church is the work of allowing that movement of the spirit to keep leading us into the future in a way where we keep fanning into flame the sparks of the good ones, cultivating, using those helpful traditions and liturgies and hymns and theologies and creeds and confessions and what have you, systems, using the good ones to cultivate growth, but also recognizing the toxic ones and reforming them when, when they need reforming. 
Every generation of the church in every, in every culture and every place needs to be caught up in that kind of endeavor lest the church become merely the human institution that gets preserved for its own sake. But here's the challenging thing for us in this day. We live in an age where canceling and quitting is kind of the normal way you vote no on a thing, right? And the challenge is there is a lot about the church that we should vote no on. But that doesn't change the reality that the church is God's chosen community, God's beloved bride, God's actual family that God has started and God has planted. The invitation isn't to quit or cancel it's to engage and reform. Canceling and accountability are different things. What we need in the church is accountability. What we need in the church is participation. What we need is transformation, renewal, reform. We need to be called in to that work of reformation, not simply called out for failures. The challenge is Accountability and reformation and transformation and doing that work, that requires resilience. Now, God gives resilience. We have the spirit of power. The most resilient force in the world is that which Jesus has planted in the earth and it lives here in and among us. But for many of us, our resilience generally has been weakened over years of living in a hyper-connected world that stuffs our brains and our hearts and our relational networks full of more news and pain and horror and information and misinformation and opinions and reactions and hot takes and expectations and outrage and you name it, more than any actual person can hold and handle and process. And so we grow weary of those things and canceling and quitting becomes a very normal and expected reaction when that's our normal state of being overstuffed to almost an impossible, an impossible superhuman need to hold all that we're called to hold in this hyper-connected age. But the call in to get involved, to become the church that God is calling us to be is one that will require resilience on our part. It's one that will require humility on our part. It's one that will require our being dazzled by the love and beauty of Christ and being compelled toward him so that we see that this church that we're here to participate in and to grow in, to belong in, is the beautiful community that God has created in the world in Jesus. It's the community that organizes around him. It's the community that orders our life together in the way of Christ. It's the community that opens our hands and says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. It's the community that says, spirit of truth, lead us into all truth. And where we're blind, show us. Where we're wrong, correct us. Where we're sick, heal us. Where we're weak, strengthen us. We need the spirit of hope that animates the church. And the good news is that we have it. And Jesus has made it very clear from the beginning 
that following him is not a solo sport. It's a family affair. And the church is that family. Yet we also can see these ways where the church has been a dysfunctional family for many, even an abusive family for some, including some of you. There are a lot of hard stories that we carry together in community. We need to hear those and take them seriously. But there's hope for the church. And I think the hope for the church begins with our seeing the church through eyes of faith. To where we begin to see the church as, yes, it is a flawed institution in need of change. And yes, it is the beloved bride of Christ, whom God himself loves. It's our family. Christine Pohl says it beautifully, where she says, the best testimony to the truth is the quality of our life together. Jesus risked his reputation and credibility of his story by tying them to how his followers live and care for one another in community. How we live together is the most persuasive sermon we'll ever get to preach. And so friends, when we begin to see the church through eyes of faith, I think what we begin to see is an invitation. An invitation to the movement the movement of the spirit, the discipleship movement, the movement of renewal, as we take the next step toward Jesus, with Jesus, into our lives and into the world, where we do begin to open up our lives more prayerfully. We do begin to connect with one another more relationally, where we do begin to see not only the church in here, but the church out there as important. Friends, when we go out into the world, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into our families, into our other relational networks, it's not that we just simply go as those who try to take Jesus to those places. Jesus goes before us to those places and invites us to see where he's already been at work. We follow Jesus into the world. And so when we begin to see the church through eyes of faith, we begin to see that the church is actually much bigger than what we might be thinking church is all around us, where God is at work, where the spirit is present. But at the same time, as we begin to see the church through eyes of faith, we begin to see that maybe the church in which we need to experience belonging is much smaller than we think. It's that interconnected web of relationships where you can belong and be known and experience life together in that deep and rich and meaningful way where you do that one anothering work that Jesus talks about for the church. Bearing with one another, praying for one another, sharing your resources with one another, loving one another, welcoming one another into your homes, serving your neighbors together, serving with your neighbors as neighbors. These are the things that when we begin to see the church through eyes of faith, we begin to see it's bigger and maybe more intimate than what we have in mind. It's more dynamic and more fluid than maybe the institution that we rightly critique. And the invitation when we see the church through eyes of faith is to meet Jesus both inside and outside the walls. To participate in this movement of the spirit, both going deeper in your own life and wider with your love that the church lives at this intersection of the greatest commandment and the great commission. Love God, love neighbor, go make disciples. 
and that this is what God calls us into when we begin to see the church through eyes of faith. There's so much we could say and think about as we just um, ponder all of the things that are probably very important for us to consider. But I think for us today as we leave from here is just these words of Jesus from John 17. In verse 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them. Sanctified and sent. Saints on a mission. A communion of saints, a family of God, a spirit-created community. This is who we are as church. And the invitation is to live our love in such a way that it becomes more and more true of us. That when people see this church, they don't just see flawed institution, but they begin to see a family that lives its love together in beautiful and compelling ways. We need that. Our neighbors need that. Let's pray. Our God, you are good, and we confess that we are not. We need your help, and we thank you that you give it. We do thank you for the church. Um, for some, here we acknowledge that it's a struggle to stick with church, and for often pretty good reasons. For some, it's a struggle to embrace change in church, and sometimes maybe for good reasons, and sometimes not. We recognize this complicated thing that we're a part of here, the institution and the movement at the same time. We recognize the need for reformation and our need for participation. And we recognize the resilience that such a thing requires. But we pray that you would give us your grace. We pray that you would give us your spirit. We pray that you would dazzle us with your love and with your truth and compel us forward, that we would be called in to this great work of renewal and that our life together might be a powerful and compelling sermon to the city and to the people we know and love. We need your help for that to be true. And so we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.